It's always nice to be home. Um, and this is home for us. This is one of our homes. Uh, the, you guys, many of you guys, uh, we, we grew up here. We start, my wife and I, we started a date here, um, got married in he, this sanctuary. Um, some of your kids we were in youth group with, some of your grandkids we were in youth group with. Um, some of your kids and grandkids were in our youth group as we started ministry here and that type of thing. So it's always good to be home and good to be with you guys. Um, in fact, I was over here just thinking during worship. I think it, it was around this time, about 27 years ago, that I preached my first sermon in this spot. Uh, it was around Christmas time, and I thought that I was, I had like, we were doing a tag team, me and two other students, and, and, and I was supposed to preach for 10 minutes, and I thought I had about 20 minutes worth of material, and next thing you know, I was done in two minutes, and it was horrible, I feel. Um, so I think today will be a little better, uh, at least I hope and pray, but uh, it's good to be here. Now, th this morning, I, I, I kind of thought Pastor Andrea was going to preach my message, so she does that some, I hear. Um, so what, well, I'm going to kind of share a little bit about what God has been doing in, in South Africa, where my family and I have lived the last four years. And then, and then I'm going to switch, and I'm just going to preach a little today, if that's okay, and something I feel like God's laid in our heart. But, but I have to report what God, what, what God has done and what you guys have done, because you guys have been a part about what God has been doing in South Africa. So uh, we're so excited to be home. Again, it's good to be home, but we're also at this point in life where we're ready to be back to our other home, which is now Africa. Um, we've been there almost 10 years. We, we, about 10 years ago, we became missionaries um, to, to go to the continent of Africa. And about, oh, I don't know, eight years ago, nine years ago, we actually moved to Africa for the first time. And then we were in Tanzania, and then we, we came home and fundraised, and now we've lived in South Africa the last four years. And our goal in South Africa was to plant a church. And um, I don't know about you, so one of the things I always ask people is, is when you think of Africa, what's the first thing you think of? Animals. I heard it. Who's, how many of you guys, first thing you think of is animals? It's okay. Animals are in Africa. We had giraffes running through our yard, and we had lions that we had. No, we didn't have those things. Though we did have monkeys that would get in your house, and that's a whole other story, and that's horrible. And uh, they're, they're, they look cute and cuddly when they're behind the glass, uh, but they're nasty animals. And, and when they break into your house and eat your food and stuff, it's not fun. So uh, we did have that. Um, but animals aren't everywhere. It's kind of like America. You know, I'm, I'm not going to get see moose here in Texas, right? I'm not going to see a polar bear walk through Greenville, Texas anytime soon. Um, so you got to go to where the animals are in Africa to, to really see the animals that when you think of animals in Africa, lions and cheetahs and elephants and stuff like that, that's where you'll see those things. Uh, some people, a lot of people, when they think of Africa, they think of, of poverty. How many of you guys think of some type of poverty issue? You know, when, when you, if you grew up, when I grew up back in the 80s and stuff, there was this commercial that used to come on. And uh, many of you guys are familiar with it. And it was, it was uh, some white celebrity lady, and she was with some poor African child who had this bloated belly and, and had flies on his face and stuff like that. And, and she would sit there, you know, if you give up a cup of coffee a day, you'd be able to feed this child for an entire month. 
And, and, and the truth is, there's poverty in Africa. There's widespread systemic poverty that happens. There's droughts and things like that, depending on where you live, that, that are happening. There's floods and, and disease and HIV and malaria, and all those things are reality. But you know, that's not everywhere in Africa. It's not. We lived in a city that if you were to ask me to compare what this city looks like, I would say it looks like Miami. We would be at, at our, in our apartment at night and we would hear Ferraris running down the road. You see, that's also Africa. Now, the people that are driving Ferraris, they're not all African. There's actually a lot of uh, Middle Eastern princes and stuff like that that lived in Durban where we live. And uh, a lot of money from the Middle East. But Africa's cities and Africa is, is places that need Jesus. There's countries that we don't have missionaries in. And places that God's still saying go and share the gospel. And that's Africa. Lives were changed over the last four years because of your guys' partnership and your giving. One of my favorite stories is this guy named, I call him Andy. Andy was a big black South African. And in, in South Africa, I, I, I refer to, there's different people groups. And because of apartheid and different things, it's very segregated still today. Um, so in South Africa, you have your blacks, you have your whites, you have your colored is what they call, which is a mixed race. Or if you're not black or white, half most of the time they classify you as colored. And then also in, in Durban especially, there's Indians, the largest populations of India outside of India. Indians outside of India live in Durban. Over a million Indians live in the city of Durban. So we had curries and we had different things like that. And we actually, I made a butter chicken a few weeks ago because we we're missing the Indians, our friends in Durban. But Andy was this big black South African and him and his family, his brothers, they were bouncers in the house bars. The Shabins, Shabins is what they call them. So they were enforcers, basically. And uh, Andy's aunt invited him to church. So he came to church at North Place, where the church we helped start. And as, as he came to church, one day he came down and he got saved. And we baptized Andy. And then a, a few weeks later, Andy came back down to the altar and he was crying, and it was one of those moments where God was moving in church, and people were, were responding to a time of prayer. And, and he placed something in one of our, our team members, one of our prayer partners' hands, and they, they said, Andy, what is this? He goes, well, you see, this is a bracelet I used to wear to worship my ancestors. He said, but what I've realized since coming to North Place, what I've realized since coming to church is that Jesus' power is more powerful than my ancestors. I don't have to pray to my ancestors anymore. You see, God's moving in, in, in South Africa. A few weeks after that, uh, 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 he, brought, he had his cousin come to church. And his cousin comes to church and his cousin gets saved. I'll call him Sandy or Sammy. And Sammy, he, he, he comes to church and gets saved. So I start sending it. What I would do, part of my responsibilities was discipleship. So because of different things, and we didn't have a building at the time, I, I would send WhatsApp messages. I would basically instant message him, hey, read this scripture today. What do you think about this? 
read this today. And for, for six weeks, I would send them a scripture daily, and most people never even responded to it. It took data to respond, um, so they didn't respond. But we were leaving. When we were leaving to come back home to America, Sammy, he stopped me. He goes, Pastor Adam, you don't know what I was going through that day when I came to church. He said, when I came to church, I was so mad. I was so angry. He goes, I, 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 went, I was robbed three times by the same person. Somebody would break into my house and take all my stuff. And he goes, I was wanting to kill this guy. I was so mad at him. And he said, so I went to my cousin Andy, and, and Andy, I said, get your brothers. We're going to go do, you know, kill this guy. And Andy said, no, I can't do that. Why don't you come to my church? He goes, so I came to church, and God saved me. And then you started messaging me these scriptures. And I started reading my Bible, and all of a sudden, my heart started to change. And, and he, said, he, said, he said, so I was walking down the street one day, and, and I saw this guy that kept robbing him, me. And he goes, instead of wanting to kill him, God's love broke from him in me. He goes, it's all because of North Place. In fact, I got in the Bible, Pastor Adam. He goes, I'd probably be in jail today if it wasn't for that. See, lives are being changed. Those are some of them. I could tell you about people that were Muslims that became saved. I could tell you about Indians that were Hindu that became saved. God's moving in the city of Durban and across Africa. And you guys are a part of it. And we thank you. In fact, Alicia, who joined us after speaking to kids this morning, she, uh, she did the kids ministry at the church there in Durban. And, and again, some of y'all's kids and grandkids were in the children's ministry at and have been part of children's ministry. Some of you guys served with Alicia in Extreme Outreach here in, Dur in, in Greenville as we used to run that ministry. And it's something that's a passion of hers, and she misses it deeply right now. But we had a, a, a young kid come to church. He, he was actually colored and um, started to come to church. And, and, and he, brought a, he brought a little bag, lunchbox type thing, and, it, and he started to pull out toys. It was his first time in church, and he started to pull out toys and play with them. Well, if you know Alicia, she's not going to allow that to happen in church. So she gently walked over and said, hey, I need you to put that away, buddy. You know, we don't play with toys in church, you know. So he sat there. Next week he came again, but he brought a book. And she's like, all right, maybe he can read. But he sat there in church. Came to church again and came to church again. And it turns out that this kid at the age of 11, I believe, or so, 10 or 11, he said he was um, an atheist. Wanted nothing to do with church, but started to come to church. And all of a sudden, he had uh, his mom came, and his mom started to serve in church. And and um, but he had to move to from Durban to Johannesburg and move with his dad. And before he left church, his last time in church with us, he stopped the pastor Randy Freeman, and he said. Randy, Pastor Randy, I, I, I need a, a North Place church in Johannesburg so I can go to church. Lives are being changed because of you guys. COVID happened, and we all know COVID. COVID is horrible, right? The government in South Africa, you guys, we talk about lockdowns and how things are hard here. And I would have loved to have been in America for the lockdown you guys experienced. See, we weren't allowed to leave our apartment for about 11 weeks. 
unless we were going to the grocery store. No church, no anything. So immediately we were like, hey, we got to go online. We were given pretty much 24 hours saying, starting Monday night, you can't leave your house. So immediately, we, you know, you go to the grocery store and you wait in line with 800 people or however many people are in the grocery store and get what you can get and you go home and you don't know how long it's going to last or what's going to happen to the supply chain or whatever. And uh, we immediately go online. And the pastor and his wife, she led worship. They would, they would upload the services to the cloud. I would download it. I would edit the services together. We'd put that online. Alicia was in our, our living room of our apartment. We'd set up a camera. She would record children's church. Guess what? This little kid that moved to um, Johannesburg started to watch our kids' service again. We had people watching our services from Johannesburg and and, and, and in fact, we have friends that said, hey, if you guys ever plan a church in Johannesburg, we have friends that have been watching North Place online, and they want to come to church. See, God's moving, and you guys are a part of it. We appreciate your sacrificial giving. Now, now you guys know, those of you guys that really know me know that I like coffee. I do. I love coffee. In fact, I, I, I might have an obsession with coffee, okay? I don't know if that's good or bad. It, it is a legal drug, right? So whoever legalized this, you know, they, they were genius. Um, and I don't think I have a problem until we do that Daniel fast at the first of every year. And those first two or three days that we're on the Daniel fast, I feel like somebody is killing me. In fact, a lot of people have labeled me a coffee snob. I, I, I don't like that term because I don't feel like I'm a snob. I like the term connoisseur. It, it sounds fancier, maybe less pretentious. But here's the deal, I, a snob, I looked up the definitions when I was thinking about this sermon. And here's the definition of a snob, and I don't know if you, I mean, we all can kind of, we know what a snob is, but here's the de, one of the definitions. It's one who tends to rebuff, rebuff, avoid, or ignore those regarded as inferior. That's a snob. And see, the truth of the matter is I'll drink any coffee. I will. If somebody makes a coffee of Folgers, I'll have Folgers coffee. Now, I don't necessarily enjoy it, but I'll drink it. You see, a connoisseur, here's a connoisseur. I looked up this definition as well. A connoisseur is an expert judge in matters of taste. I like that. I don't know if I'm an expert, but I, I do like coffee. I like good coffee. The truth of the matter is, Alicia, she is a coffee snob. She will not drink any coffee. If I take a sip of coffee and she's, how is it? I say, you're not going to like it. She goes, well, I'll take tea then. I'll drink any coffee. Maybe not as much as Pastor Andrea. Because she's like, she just wants her fix. She is. She's like, she would mainline coffee, I think, if she could. Alicia only likes to drink the best coffee, though. I keep telling her, I say, Alicia, you have to drink bad coffee every once in a while because it helps you appreciate the really good coffee when you drink that. 
In fact, in fact, this here, this isn't a bag of toys. I mean, it might be toys. This is my, my coffee kit. This is what I travel with. I take stuff out of my suitcase so I can put this in my suitcase, okay? I don't need underwear. I got coffee, right? Okay, it's not that bad yet. So I leave on a trip today. I'm going to Springfield, Missouri for some meetings today. So I brought this with me. So I got my coffee. This is a... Um, an Ethiopian coffee, a good African coffee, roasted by a guy in uh, Boston, actually. I, I travel with a hand grinder because the best coffee is freshly ground coffee because once you grind coffee, it starts going stale after, after a couple, uh, couple minutes. So I, every morning I'll get up and I'll, when I'm on a trip, I'll grind my coffee. And then I, this, is what I, this is how I make my coffee. This is called an AeroPress. It's an AeroPress Go. So I, this has, it has its cup, so I have my own cup with me. And then there's a whole way. They actually have a national, international championship competition for the AeroPress. So you can, you can look up recipes on how different ways, how long you should let it brew, how, how, how many grams of coffee. I, I actually travel with a... Um, I have a scale here where I weigh out my coffee every morning. Um, like I said, I like coffee. It, it might be an issue. Alicia benefits from me liking coffee because she gets good coffee whenever we travel as well. And uh, I actually watch coffee channel YouTube channels. If you, uh, if you were to look at my, uh, my Christmas wish list, I have coffee books on my Christmas wish list. Um, the World Encyclopedia of Coffee, I just finished reading it, and talks about variety of coffee and types of coffee and ways to make coffee. I, some people say I have a problem. Ah, oh, it depends. I, 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 one of my good friends in South Africa, um, he actually just won Roaster of the Year. Um, and I go to his coffee shop all the time and sit and talk with him about coffee. I bring coffee from America to him to try, and he, t he travels and brings coffee as well. I think the reason why I like coffee, it's as much of the variety of coffee and the flavors that a well-made cup of coffee produces. So I don't know if I have a favorite. I mean, I prefer a medium roast from East Africa is what I probably prefer. But then you start getting the processes, whether washed or natural or honey processed. That, I mean, it's a whole thing. Did you know that inside one coffee bean, there's 800 aromatic flavors and flavor compounds that make up that one bean, 800. 800 different things that you can taste and flavors that you can smell in a one bean of coffee. So in comparison, now I don't necessarily do wine, but they only found 200 in a, in a bottle of wine or in a grape. I like the process of making coffee and the results that when you get, when you change one variable in coffee, and there's only three variables of coffee, water, the bean, the coffee bean, and then how long you let it, you let it brew. Steep is the, the proper term, yeah. In Durban, we, we, I have 10 different types. I'm not even talking about, I have multiple of some of these types. I have 10 different types 
of ways that you can make manual brew coffee. I have special scales, I have special kettles, all to produce what I think is the perfect cup of coffee. And honestly, I think I, as I was thinking of coffee, I said, you know what, prayer's a lot like this. In the Bible, prayer's a lot like this. The Bible, I don't know how many times pray or prayer is mentioned in the Bible. I don't know if we could figure that out because translations and whatever and different terms, but it's a lot, right? In fact, I, I did a quick Google search the other day and I found a site that says that there are 650 listed prayers in the Bible. Listed prayers. There are 450 answered prayers in the Bible. It mentions five different ways and positions that we should be praying, right? Standing, kneeling, face before the Lord, those type of things. Specific positions to pray. The Bible says a lot about prayer. The very first time the idea or the word of prayer is mentioned is Genesis 4.26. So at the very beginning, it says, Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. 4.26, it's already talking about it. You see, before that, God was the one that initiated the conversation. So if you go in the garden before this time, before 26, it was God initiating the conversation. Truth is, God still initiates conversations today. But still, we need to call on the name of the Lord. A couple months ago, I was at a conference. And this speaker that was speaking, and, and he, I don't know where exactly he got these statistics, and I'm not, I'm not saying any of these are wrong, but, but as he was, he was preaching, he said this. This is the breakdown of the percentages of types of prayers that people typically pray today. He said 80% of all prayers that people pray are what he called problem prayers. And so it's prayers, God, I need this. God, I'm going through this circumstance. God, I need you to heal me. God, I need food. God, I need, I need, I need. And I'm not saying that, you know, we need to pray. There's times where we have to pray these prayers. There's times when you might not have enough food or enough money at the end of the month. There's more month than there is money or whatever it is. Don't not pray these prayers. Jesus told his disciples when he, when he hey, this is how you pray. Part of that was the daily bread, right? God answers those prayers. He knows our needs, and we need to ask him, ask, and it will be given to you, right? So there's nothing wrong with this prayer. But what I'm saying is, and what I feel like God has been speaking to me is, Adam, don't let that be your only type of prayer. Don't stop there. You see, the problem is when this is the only type of prayer that we pray, we're reverting God or Jesus to, to our personal genie that if we rub his belly, we get what we want. And the truth is, that's not who God is. Second thing he said, he said, the second one is family prayer. He said, 10% of all prayers make up family prayers. And again, I'm not saying don't pray this, my dad's in the hospital. I pray for my dad. 
I would ask you to pray for my dad. And you guys know my dad. You guys know Lee. But again, don't stop there. Again, there's needs in our family. I pray for protection of my kids. And I think that's biblical. I pray for the spouses of my kids already, even though they're not even dating. One day they will be. And I might be in Africa, and they might be in America, and I don't know how that's going to go. But I might call some of you, Rick Houston, and say, hey, I need you to take care of something for me, okay? Uh, 5% of all prayers are self-prayers. It's getting a little deeper. It's starting to turn internal. God, renew in me a clean heart. God, renew my mind. God, as David prayed, search my heart, O Lord, and show me where I've sinned against you. Prayers that are worth praying, yes. Create in me a new heart, God. Little deeper, 5%. We're at 80, 95% of all prayers are these three types. Ministry, they say, is 4%, he said. Again, we start praying for our church or we get involved in, in a ministry here at church or, or an outreach of some sort. And you start praying for those things. Maybe it's a, some missionary to Africa that you, you, you know for a long time or maybe somebody that came and they had a prayer card and say, hey, stop and pick up our prayer card and pray for us. And I would ask you to do that. We have needs and things that people can pray for. But that's 4%. And then the very last 1% of all prayers, he said it was God's requests. God's requests of prayer. Ezekiel 22.30, I sought for a man to stand in the gap. Isaiah 59.16, God was amazed that no one would intercede on behalf of a country. God's been dealing with me, church, with this. How often we stop before we stop at this type of prayer? And there's a lot of reasons why we stop. It's uncomfortable. And I don't like to be uncomfortable. I'm kind of a wall person, you know. I go to a party or something, I hang out on the wall. I don't want to be noticed or seen or what have you. But it's uncomfortable. These type of prayers means we have to pray for those that persecute us. Pray for those who aren't like us or didn't vote like us. Pray for those that are vaccinated and unvaccinated, masked or unmasked, Republican or Democrat. Not that they'll come to their senses, not that God will kill them or whatever it is. Because if you look at Facebook, that's the way we're praying for them. But then we'll pray Jesus' prayers for them. I often say, and it's one of those things, I don't know how you feel about this, and you might not ever come back to, if I'm ever here again after I say this, but I remember when Osama bin Laden was killed. I do. I remember when it happened. And most of us that are here today probably remember that and, and I remember jumping on social media and I remember people celebrating the death of Osama bin Laden I'm not saying Osama bin Laden I mean he was an evil evil man yes 
But as a Christian, should we celebrate the death of someone? I don't know. I don't know the answer necessarily. I know why people do and, and all that. But what would the Jesus prayer for that man be? Would it be that he would die and that he would go to hell? Or would it be like some guy named Paul in the Bible that got saved, that used to persecute the believers, that now wrote the majority of the New Testament, and the entire known world at the time became Christian because of terrorists that got saved because somebody was willing to go and tell him, even though he didn't want to go, but he prayed a Jesus prayer in the book of Acts. And this guy got saved because he came and... And though with the story I want to look at, I haven't even got to the preaching part, guys. Um, though the story I want to look at today is not necessarily listed as one of the 650 prayers that are prayed in the Bible, I think it can shine some light on prayer. The purpose of prayer, how we should pray, and our attitude of praying for our needs. And here's a, here's a Bible study tip. As you read the Bible, Pastor Andrea, she said, hey, read your Bible, and if you don't want to, don't, or whatever. But as you read your Bible, as you read your Bible, ask questions of the text, okay? Just like as you were, you were, you were taught in school to, to ask the, the five W's and the how, who, what, which, when, why, Ask those questions of the text in the Bible and let God illuminate the answers to those questions, okay? In this story, we're going to look at Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. It's a passage a lot of us are familiar with. And as we look at it today, we're going to look at some of these questions. When did this story happen, for instance? This happened as Jesus and a, a crowd of people, the disciples, they were making their way to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. If you look at the story in the book of Mark, it's toward the end of Jesus' ministry. It's right before he's going to go and be crucified. It's the last healing that Jesus does in the book of Mark. The very last healing. In the book of Mark, in other books it might be different, but we're talking about Mark here today. So here's what it says. It says, and then they came to Jericho. Now what, what's Jericho? We know about it in the Old Testament. You know, the Israelites marched around it. It's, about a, it's a city about 15 miles northeast of Jerusalem. It's close to the Jordan River. And at the time of Jesus... This time in the, the Bible, Jericho was known as an oasis city. King Herod the Great built a, uh, his winter palace in Jericho because of the warm climate and fresh water springs. The Bible describes Jericho as a city of palm trees. It catered to the rich and the famous and the powerful during the time of Jesus. So it's, it's like where all the spring breakers, all the co-eds would go on spring break was if they were in Jerusalem studying, they would go to Jericho for spring break. There was a lot of evil that happened in Jericho because of it, right? A lot of places that catered to the rich and the wealthy. There's a lot of shady things that happened. That was happening in Jericho as well back then. It was kind of that place that they, they could get out of the religious circle of Jerusalem and do what they want. Like Las Vegas, you know what happens in Las Vegas stays in Las Vegas. 
what happened in Jericho stayed in Jericho, okay? That was the attitude of some of the people. Because of this, kind of like Vegas, homeless outcasts often lined the streets in the town because it was a good place to encounter the well-to-do traders and political elites of their day. Begging and asking and, hey, alms and, and those type of things. As we continue with the story, Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city. A blind man named Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road begging. So this is the who. This is the who of the passage. Jesus, disciples, a crowd, Bartimaeus. In the three accounts of this story in the gospel, this is the only one that gives a name. The truth is it's not even the guy's name. Bartimaeus isn't his name. It's how he's referred to. But that's not, not his name. It means son of. Nobody knew who Bartimaeus was except for the son of Timaeus. It's like saying, oh, the son of John. Pastor Mike's son. Sorry, Jacob, you, you know, you're, you're the pastor's kid. You know how it is. You know, it, but, but it's that, it's that, it's that whatever. You know, it's, you, his name's not important, but his dad was important. Because everybody that, Mark, that would have been reading this knew who his dad was. He was a nobody. He was just a blind beggar. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, you see, Jesus, the stories went about about who Jesus was and what he was doing. The stories of healing, the miracles that Jesus performed had been made known. And all of a sudden it came to Bartimaeus, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. So he started to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And it's important you catch what he's saying. This is a big theological statement he's making. It's not just him crying out to be healed. Though it is. You see, by saying son of David, he's proclaiming a messianic proclamation on who David was. In the book of Mark, it's only done two times, once here and once by Jesus when he compares it and adds Christ to that title. He's declaring that Jesus is the son of David. He's declaring Jesus is the rightful king of Israel. Honestly, treason up until this time. This prayer, that he, or this thing he's shouting, and it's actually been become what's what's called the Jesus prayer and thousands of Christians pray this prayer all the time and typically or a form of this prayer typically in the liturgical Catholics Orthodox Lutheran those type of settings Anglican it's prayed hundreds of times by people all over this world Jesus son of God have mercy on me a sinner is the way it typically is prayed but think about that power, declaring Jesus Christ the Messiah. You see, I think a lot of times I fear our, our prayers are not answered because we do not realize who we are praying for, too. We don't. You see, who is God? Who is Jesus? Sure, we cry out to him 80% of the time for our needs. But who is he? He's the beginning and the end. He's the creator of all things. He's a Jehovah Jireh. 
Jehovah Nisi, we could go through the Bible, talk about who God is and why he cares, why he wants to meet your need and answer your prayers. See, Jesus said it this way, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And the one who seeks, find and, uh, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, or you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Unless you're from Louisiana. <laughs> I'm just joking. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If then, you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We know how to give good gifts. Christmas is coming up. My kids have lists. We've limited their lists. And we said you get one thing you want, one thing you need. One thing to wear and one thing to read. That's what we give our kids, and then stockings. Don't you see? You got to know who God is when you ask Him. Many rebuked Him. Verse 48 told Him to be quiet. But He shouted all the more Son of David, have mercy on me. We don't know why they were telling him to be quiet. We, we really don't. It doesn't tell us that. Maybe they wanted to finish their Jerusalem. Hey, if this guy keeps interrupting us, it'll take us forever to finish this next 15 miles. Maybe they didn't have time for some poor beggar to be yelling and, and interrupting what's going on in their travels. You know what? Maybe they thought he lived a life of sin, and that's why he was blind. Because in the biblical times, sometimes even in some places today, that's what people believe. Well, you have that issue in your life because you sin. Is that true? Sometimes, yeah, sometimes things happen to us because we sin. But not every time. Not every time. Even back then, Job, this book of Job is a complete counter of this idea and this theology that was in the Old Testament. Jesus, on an earlier encounter with a blind man, they asked him, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents were born with sin, but he was born blind so that you could see the power of God operate. See, another reason why our prayers are not always answered is because we lose faith because of the crowd around us. But not Bartimaeus. See, he cried all the more. I don't know how many times he cried. I'm sure it was more than two times. All of a sudden, Jesus stopped, like only Jesus would do, say, hey, call him. A simple answer, he bid him to come. Some of you guys have been calling out. Some of you guys have been calling out for years. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Son of David, have mercy on me. Some of you guys don't even know whom you are calling you might not know why you were calling. Some of you are here today standing on your last leg. You're ready to give up. People have told you your situation is hopeless, yet here you are. The bills are piling up, yet here you are. The cupboards are empty, but yet here you are. 
Maybe your spouse has been beating you, but here you are. Maybe she left with the kids, but here you are. The doctors, maybe they gave you no hope, but here you are. Jesus is calling you today. He's saying, I hear you. He's willing to stop. He's willing to stop. And he's saying, come. Come to me who's brokenhearted. Come to me who's weary. And I will give you rest. Go ahead and have the worship team come up. So they called to the blind man. All of a sudden the crowd changed, right? Jesus stopped. And the crowd changes. Cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throw the cloak aside. He jumped to his feet. And he came to Jesus. Just imagine how quick the crowd changes. And he asks, what do you want me to do? One man said, Rabbi, I want to see. You see, something happens when we're in the presence of God. When our faith aligns to our needs in the presence of God, miracles happen. Jesus said simply, he didn't pray for him. He didn't spit in the ground on this time and rub anything in his eyes. He did that in other times. But he simply said, go, your faith has made you whole. Something so simple, yet changed this man's life forever. Other accounts, and this account said that he, he received his sight and he followed Jesus along the road and he started to praise God. A couple chapters later, all of a sudden Jesus is entering Jerusalem and the whole crowd, the whole town shows up and starts shouting, Hosea, or Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? That just happened a, a few miles down the road, honestly, 15 miles. All of a sudden, the whole crowd of people are cheering what this man started to shout. Son of David, have mercy on me. I don't know where you're at in life. I don't know all your needs. God does. I don't know how long you've been crying out. God does. I don't know why he hasn't healed you. The truth is God doesn't heal everybody and I still don't understand it. It's not because of sin. I mean, most of our stuff is because of sin, because of Adam and Genesis and all that. God's saying, come to me today. He says, I hear you. He says, I'm calling. So if you're here today, as we close, if you're here today and you say, Adam, I, I have some needs. Pastor Andrea's talked about it. Pastor Mike has talked about it. This isn't one of my typical sermons, to be honest with you, Emma. She asked me as we were driving to church. She goes, Dad, Dad are you preaching the same message you always preach? I said, no, I'm not. I wrote a new one. 
I really felt like that God wants to do something special here today. And I'm praying, and I believe in faith, that if you call on the name of the Lord today, number one, you're going to be saved. That's the first thing. If you don't know Jesus Christ and who you're going to call to, God wants to save you. He wants to have a relationship with you. Again, you might be on your last leg. You might not know who Jesus is or who God is, but you came to church today, and God's been calling you. And some missionary that used to live here in Greenville that now lives in Durban, South Africa, is here to tell you that God is here, and he hears your calls. He sees where you're at, and he wants to save you. But also, if you haven't need a miracle in your life, God wants to answer and to maybe deliver a miracle today. And the prayer of faith not only save you, but it also make you whole. So if every head will bow and every eye is closed, I'm just going to ask. If you're here today or if you're online today, you can make a comment that I, I'm, I need to call in the name of the Lord. And that's you today. You say, Adam, that's me. I, I, I need to know Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I, I, I'm ready to break. I'm ready to give up on life. But yet, I sense him saying, call me. He's calling you today. If that's you, would you slip up a hand? I just want to take a moment, give you a chance. If you're online, again, type it in the chat. The church will reach out to you. If you're here today, you say, Adam, I need a healing. I need a miracle in my life. I'm going to ask that you stand up this, mor this morning. I want you to come to the Lord. I want us to spend some time praying today. I want you to call on the name of the Lord as the worship team leads us into, into worship.